your unprocessed material is your data or your information. And only once you've evaluated it and picked for reliability, only then does it become intelligence because only then is it something that you can use. Welcome to The Circuit Magazine, the number one source of information on protection matters, the industry-leading magazine for all security professionals who want to stay ahead of the game. Understanding the academic studies in intelligence. What is it as a topic? Why is it important? Why is uh, academia even relevant for today's EP professional? I'm here with Sean West. What an interesting angle. I, I know people gravitate towards academic studies in times of unemployment or underemployment, and perhaps with the drawdown, I don't know, maybe more people will go in this direction. Why is this an important topic? I think when you look at any industry, people will say, what's the most important? Is it practical skills or is it academia? Or is it a mix of the two? I've started as a soldier. I've got practical skills and then started in the industry. And then I've done academia on the side, be that in distance learning or attending different courses and try to have a, a mix of the two. And because you get a lot of people who study straight from when they leave school, go and do a university course, but they don't get that real world experience in carrying out the particular role. So I think definitely we need a mix of the two. And I think talking to Samantha on her views of this, because she's, she teaches the academic side, it'd be interesting to see where she's coming from and her thoughts. Absolutely. Because, you know, for, for many industries, it's, it's sort of a case. And I didn't, I didn't create this quote of, um, barbarians to the boardroom, <laughs> you start off your, 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 let's say you're starting up a company you're finding your way. And, and once you've got down the line, then you go and do a summer MBA course, because it's the seal of approval on top of many years of hard work. And, and a similar thing can be said, you know, cause a lot of people go off and do war studies at Kings, um, is it directly uh, beneficial for your employment? I don't know, but it definitely is good for the soul and the ability to write academically versus the ability to file lots and lots of reports. Certainly an interesting skill set. Do you think that tomorrow's EP professional is going to be required to just have a little more context when, when operating? For sure. I think this day and age, there's so many bums and not enough seats. So you have to separate yourself from everyone else you're competing with. with. With so many people vying for these positions, what can you do that's going to make you different to the next man? And academia is one form of study you carry out. There's other courses that you may look at also, practical courses. You just got to find your niche, stick with it, get them ticks in the box and, and promote yourself, network and think outside the box. If you just stay in one lane, you, you're going to really struggle when there's so many people out there vying for these positions. There, there, there are, aren't there? And uh, actually, one thing I'd say that today's EP professional has over all these people coming directly from university is you've got experience. That's right. So you're going to have some things to write about in these academic things. You're going to know where to go for sources. You're, you're going to actually contextualize all the work that you've been doing. Um, myself personally, when I, uh, did my undergrad, I thought, you know what, let's do a master's. So I did a master's and it came out and I thought, right now what? And everyone was like, yeah, but you don't have the practical experience. 
So I think this is a, this is a winning uh, formula. And of course, with the drawdown in Afghanistan, we don't know what is going to happen. We don't know if there's going to be more demand for work, less demand for work. Um, and of course, our thoughts are, and, and, and prayers are with them uh, at the moment. But I feel that there could be a sudden demand on academia. Yeah, no, 100%. People are definitely going to drop gravitate towards it because they come back from wherever it may be. It, it may not be Afghanistan. It may be other employment that's come to an end through COVID. You've got to look, as we've just discussed, at how can you increase your skill set. And academia, for sure, is something that we can all do. Some people may say they haven't got the time, but I'm a very busy individual myself. But I do try to study where I can and look at courses or methods. I can you know, increase my skill set and knowledge. And I, you know, I think everyone should do the same. Anywhere you can improve yourself, you should certainly be looking at that. Absolutely. Love it. And, and of course, that's great motivation for our listeners and the EP community. And we're going to hear, of course, uh, you know, Dr. Samantha Newbury, a uh, reader at Salford University. And in fact, you might remember Samantha was a speaker back at the first Close Protection Technology Forum in 2016. Um, she's, she's done lots of other presentations since then, but, but I think that's a nice, uh, nice tie-in with what we're doing. And it's great to uh, mix and match with the wider subset of, of, of topics. Um, let's hear from uh, Dr. Samantha Newbury and let's learn about the value of academic intelligence studies. And now let's meet one of the contributors to the Circuit Magazine. Academic intelligence studies and its applicability to the corporate security world. Today, we are very, very pleased to be joined by Dr. Samantha Newbury, Reader in International Security at the University of Salford. It's a pleasure to have you on. How are you doing? I'm well, thank you. And thank you very much for inviting me. My pleasure. Great to have you on. We know you spoke at the very first CP Tech Forum a few years ago. Um, I, I know that was a slightly different topic, but it's great to have you back. Um, I'm here with Sean West, and together we're going to uncover this topic, and very timely because, of course, a lot of people are looking at the world of academia. Um, but first off the bat, let's look at you know academic intelligence studies. What problem is it attempting to solve? This academic approach to intelligence studies is very much something that's rooted in political science and in history, and it seeks to understand the role that generally state intelligence agencies like civilian agencies like MI5 and the armed forces uh, intelligence uh, sections have played in decision making, how they've supported policy making, what's gone wrong, um, uh, where fault lies if you can place fault uh, somewhere along the process um, when uh, policy has not gone right. And that can be from um, issues in not collecting the right intelligence, but maybe the intelligence wasn't there in the first place. You can't find out uh, what attack is being planned if it hasn't been planned yet. Um, through to issues in analysing that intelligence, such as bias and looking for particular arguments in that intelligence to support pre-existing uh, expectations, through to decision makers simply ignoring intelligence. I see. Okay, no, very, very key, and 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 I can already see some applicability to the world of corporate security. Um, but 
What about you? Where does your enthusiasm for this, uh, you know, line of inquiry actually come from? It's an interest that I've had since uh, I began my university studies. I won't tell you how long ago that was. Um, at that point, uh, I was studying politics and strategic studies and didn't know that intelligence studies was an academic subject. I didn't know it was something that you could study, that there was enough about it in the public domain that you could know anywhere near as much about it um, as we can. And my particular interest stems from it at the intersection of intelligence practice for, with counterterrorism. So how do we find out what terrorists are planning and, and use that to inform counterterrorism tactics up to counterterrorism policies and therefore I'm particularly interested in legal issues and ethical issues surrounding intelligence. No, very much understood and and that, that ethics is, is something that I think will all, always play you know, a, a key role um, but what about the people out there who are completely uninitiated? We, we talk about intelligence as if everybody knows what it is but you know, what, what should the completely uninitiated know about this topic? The uninitiated, uh, sadly, probably think of James Bond. Um, that is not an accurate representation of what intelligence officers do. Uh, they do comply uh, with laws and guidelines and regulatory uh, frameworks. Um for the uninitiated, it's a, a lot of the intelligence collected for governments is from open sources. Uh, the vast majority of it is from open sources. So it's not quite as secret um, as uh, people may uh, believe. Obviously, the good old fashioned espionage um, taking place in embassies and so on is very common and, and is to be uh, expected. But it's not what the, it can generate key pieces of information, uh, but it's not where the vast majority comes from. Yeah, that's one of the things I was going to ask. Um, as part of my role, I've carried out a lot of open source intelligence training and I really enjoy it. I think it's fascinating the things that you can find out on people, individuals, places. Um, once you've done a bit of training, what you can find out is, is crazy, even to someone that has no training. Uh, so what's the actual difference between open source intelligence courses and the academic study of intelligence? Okay, so the academic study of intelligence uh, isn't so much a training course in how to do intelligence, but uh, there are a lot of uh, kind of a handful, half a dozen or so master's programs in intelligence studies in the UK, for instance, and they will take you through the broader picture. So a lot of students who work in intelligence, whether that's the private sector, the armed forces, the police, or any other organisation, they, uh, they are experts in what they do. But they really benefit, they tell us, from uh, being led through the wider picture, uh, the wider debates um, and the whole of the intelligence process, um, because they tend to be more narrowly focused on, on what they do. And they can be absolutely excellent in that. But the wider process um, and where what they do you know, fits into, into their organisations and beyond. Um, I wrote a book called Why Spy uh, with a, a former deputy chief uh, of MI6. And he was trained when he first joined MI6 in how to plant bugs and microphones, hidden microphones and so on. On, but he was never told what happened to that information once he collected it. Um, and he was convinced um, that it was helpful to know uh, what people were going to do with that information once he'd collected it and passed it on. Mm -hmm. So I'm guessing the best form of training would be a, a mix of the two. So some open source intelligence training 
and some of the academic side as well? I believe so. Obviously, you know, coming from a university, I'm likely to say that, but I do genuinely um, believe that. And a university um, course uh, will teach you about uh, the current threats um, to Western countries, maybe other countries, um, and how that all fits together, how policy is formed uh, and how policy then filters down to the lower levels about how much resources each organize, each state organisation gets and what the priorities given to those organisations are. Uh, yeah, I was going to leave me on my next question. So what's the value of academic studies and intelligence to the real world? Yeah, so... There are there are a number of, of, of approaches to that. Um, one is the the the, the uh, skills development that people will get when if they study intelligence, um, the, the research and analysis and communication skills are very similar to what they're probably already doing uh, in their in their careers. But it really helps bring them along in that. Um, that's the training the kind of skills training element um, of studies. Uh, the purpose of the academic study of intelligence more broadly is to inform decision makers, whether they be in intelligence agencies, governments, or uh, you know, large uh, corporations or smaller corporations. It's uh, about understanding what's gone wrong in the past, in history, understanding uh, the pressures that are, that are placed on the individual operative uh, right up to the decision maker so that uh, future decisions uh, can be as well informed and as effective as possible. Was Samantha, I, I really, I like the sentiment you, you, you sort of raised uh, about the former uh, leader in the community, shall we say, um, about, about, you know, why it's necessary to see where your information is going. Because Obviously, that helps you get motivated. It helps you, you know, understand the wider picture, as you say. Um, but there's often, let's say, there's a close protection professional and, and they've got a period of downtime. Perhaps um, in the current uh, drawdown, they are less employed or perhaps they're going to be more employed. But let's say they're less employed. They, some of their initial reaction is, I know I will go and do training. So perhaps here's a reverse question. Who shouldn't do uh, academic training in this area? Is, is there any category of person, perhaps uh, some stage of someone's career? Um, I don't know. Who, who shouldn't do it? That's not awkward. I haven't had that question phrased quite from that, that angle before. It's a, that, that needs some more thought. Um, the majority of people who do do it are at two, one of two career phases. They're either... Um, at the phase where they've been doing the job for about 10 years and they're looking to get promoted. And so they want a qualification to help with that. Or they're about to leave uh, the armed forces or the civil service uh, to go into the private sector. And despite years and years of experience, uh, again, they want a qualification uh, to back that up and to go with it. No, I see. And 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 I, and I guess there is a standard that people want to reach and and, and perhaps people want to prove that they've reached a, a level. They might have been practicing a lot and, and they don't have a piece of paper. They don't have something, you know, to show people. Um, what, what, are, what are your thoughts on the general landscapes uh, or, or, of people joining academia? Um, what sort of fundamentals do they need before they embark on a master's? Because generally, I would have imagined, ah, master's requires undergrad, but not necessarily so. So... What sort of preparation would someone need to, to, to go through? 
You're right. Um, an undergraduate degree isn't generally required for a master's programme uh, to get onto a master's programme. As long as you have um, generally around 10 years or almost 10 years of experience in a relevant field. And what we're looking for there is an ability, obviously an ability to be successful on the master's programme. We, we don't set anybody up. Um, to fail. So we want an ability to find, uh, to be given an essay question or a, or a short discussion question and to identify what, what information is relevant to that and then to present that in written form uh, in a way that puts across uh, an argument. And that should sound very familiar uh, to a lot of, a lot of practitioners uh, working in this field already. I suppose, yeah, they're, they're forever filling out reports and uh, doing paperwork and and uh, technology has tried to take that away from them, but actually maybe that's a, that's a good skill to hang on to. Um, in the wider picture then, do you think people need intelligence studies more? Um, uh, some, some people talk about an obesity information epidemic or something you know, to that effect where there's so much information that you know, lots of people are trying to say, oh, buy my sparkly technology solution. It will tell you everything that's going on. And everything is not intelligence, is it? Um, so, so, so is it more vital now than ever that people actually get to grips with this? Yeah, I'm inclined to say yes, because there is so much information out that is out there digitally, especially with social media and the ability for anybody to put something online in a form that is accessible to everybody. That means there is an absolute abundance of data. Now, these um, technology platforms, pieces of software can be absolutely fantastic and really powerful but they're not going to fully process or assess or evaluate that data for you. You still need uh, the human input at, at various stages of the process. So, for instance, if you're interested in a particular, I don't know, a particular terrorist group in a particular part of the world, um, you can put in search terms um, for what you know uh, that organization tends to be called but now and again somebody will start calling it something else and unless a human being is reading all of some of those say social media posts um, to, to, to twig that that's a new term being used and then to enter that into the system I'm not sure that the system is going to uh, to identify that themselves and then it, it Anyone who's who's done it will know that it, when you read through large amounts of information, you you come to conclusions and impressions about it that are not convinced that technology can do for you. Yeah, I think you're totally right there. There's some fantastic tools out there that can help you gather information from different data points and narrow it down, narrow down your search. But without that human element to filter it and, I guess, pick the flower from the weeds, it's, you, you can't do that with machine only. Yes. And that's the term that in intelligence studies, uh, we, we call it signals and noise. So the vast amount of data that you get is the noise and you're trying to find the signals, uh, the things that are actually um, significant for you amongst all that noise. And, and it's often there that perhaps some of the governmental organizations are, are called out. They said, uh, how could you not have known it was in the noise? Uh, well, yes. In the noise, but you know, there's there's a difference, and that difference, and maybe this ties to one of those quickfire questions about you know what you want the uninitiated to really understand. Does it does it annoy you or concern you at the amount of people wandering around saying, "Ah, I've got some intelligence, I've got some intelligence," but what they actually have is some 
information and it, it, it I, I guess it'd be useful maybe again for those uninitiated people and for, you know, the people who are completely in the, in the know, I do apologize, but if, for those other people, what's the real difference in your opinion between data and intelligence? The, in, in the academic intelligence studies uh, view on that is that your, your unprocessed material as you collect it, say off social media, is your data or your information. And only once you've evaluated it and picked for reliability to find out which you should, which you, you should believe and which you shouldn't, and pieced it all together and produced it into a, an output, whether that's a written report or an oral presentation, only then does it become intelligence because only then is it something that you can use. But the caveat to that is that sometimes there is that one piece of information that is the missing piece of the puzzle, that it that is the piece that will allow the police to prevent a, an imminent terror attack. So I think there is a danger in in saying that um, that that individual piece of information cannot be intelligence because that kind of assumes that it's not useful. Um, but then again, it is only useful if you've got the other pieces of the puzzle. In terms of you know where the you know, that that key piece might be, what time the attack is planned for, but without knowing where it's going to take place, um, which will come from other sources, uh, then it's not as useful. Absolutely. And I'm sure everyone has seen the television programs, uh, no piece of information too small. Um, and, uh, and, and, and the NCIS people will definitely make extrapolations. And um, one, one topic that I did want to ask you about, and this is related to some of your wider work and, and what you spoke about back in 2016 at the CP tech forum ethics, it might sound to a lot of people, oh no ethics, it's just regulatory, this and compliance, that. Why is ethics and intelligence gathering uh, such a, an important issue? It is an important issue, partly because people misunderstand what the term ethics means. Uh, when we start talking about ethics, it is not about somebody coming in and saying, you should not do that, you should not do the other. Um, there are all sorts of different systems of ethics in moral philosophy, and I'm not going to go into moral philosophy, but some of them say anything goes. If you believe that anything goes because that's what's right, that is your ethical position. So ethics sometimes means you should do whatever on earth you want to, to try and get your, your information and to use it. Um, so in that sense, ethics is perhaps not as restrictive uh, as a lot of people think. Where it's useful is in indicating what um, what the norms are in society, what societal expectations that a particular type of organization, uh, how they will behave. Um, and um, and it, do, it can inform, and it always does inform those regulatory frameworks that are in place, whether that's legislation or an organization's uh, individual um, code of ethics. It's very difficult to train people in ethics insofar as it's something that, that is kind of intrinsic to you and your values and it takes a long time uh, to change those um, and that's why we have the the list of do's and don'ts that goes with those list of, of principles that organizations aspire to. I think ethics as well whilst it's a personal thing I think working with you know, government agencies and things who happen to be on a lot of red tape when they're researching subject things to go into the private sector. I, I, I cut a lot of that red tape because 
you don't have the same restrictions with individuals doing research in different areas. So that's, you know, something else to think about as well. I know government organizations too have been held back from research in certain areas. So they've actually went out to the private sector and attacked it from another angle mm. by utilizing people who maybe have different ethics or different, they don't have the same red tape that the government agency may have. Yeah, and it works the other way as well in that um, the private sector don't have um, access to the same or aren't allowed under law to use the same kinds of intrusive surveillance methods that, that state intelligence agencies are as well. So it works both ways. Um, you touched on people in the private sector perhaps having different obligations or still needing ethics um, compared to the government sector. Would you like to see more people working in the private sector in uh, private organizations studying intelligence? Because I know a lot of the people that come to your course are from the public sector, the government sector, you know, military. Would you like to see more from the private sector? I would. And I think scholars and academics in intelligence studies have to acknowledge that, they've, that they have a long way to go in terms of acknowledging that intelligence is something that exists in the private sector. Uh, their focus has always been uh, overwhelmingly on national security intelligence and what state agencies do uh, to protect uh, their countries and their governments. Um, but there are so many similarities between what they do um, and what is done on such a wide scale um, in the private sector. And I, I, I am very keen to encourage fellow intelligence studies scholars to fully embrace that and to reflect that in their writings. And that in turn should help um, encourage more uh, people working in private intelligence uh, to go to their universities. And I mean, just as an aside, I, I know um, I actually got taught by some, there, there, there are a lot of social historians who really would love everyone to forget about the kings and queens version of history because they say, ah, the real history is, uh, is in the private hands of uh, the, the peasants or the, the individual. Um, is it not, however, much more difficult to do studies about intelligence in the private sector? Surely, surely, surely the reason it's not done more is because it's a bit more difficult. You, you might have minutes from some 1950s or 60s uh, you know, cabinet meeting on, on, on military matters, but, but you won't know about some corporation. Yes, that's right. Um, I, I, there are two responses to that. Um, you're absolutely right. So the government has a duty to release at least some of its written records from minutes from cabinet meetings and so on into its national archives, as long as they're not too uh, sensitive from a security perspective. Um, but also, I think there is already some work being done, um, academic work on intelligence in the private sector. In some ways, there are business studies, people who work on um, elements of um, well, market intelligence, um, uh, competitive intelligence uh, for companies. There is, there is some being done, but... It, it, as academics, we need to talk to each other a bit more across across disciplines. Intelligence studies is good um, at being interdisciplinary, as we call it, and that political scientists and historians work together in intelligence studies. But we need to acknowledge that there is more relevant research taking place in business studies, in particular criminology and policing, um, that's very similar to what we do and that we should work together to create um, a, a body of knowledge that's to everybody's benefit. Love it. Well, 
I feel empowered to go and do some academia now and, 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 and not, not, not that I have time, or maybe I do with all the distance learning options. Um, I, I think, I think this is tremendously relevant and, uh, I think especially with the drawdown and colleagues looking at what to do next, I think this is an absolutely vital, um, skill set to have and, and maybe even motivation to have because, because you want to see how you plug into the, the bigger picture, as you said, uh, earlier. Uh, which, which, which I think is good. Um, Sean, do, do you have anything else for some of them? No, it's fantastic. I'm going to have to um, sign up, get a copy of her book, have a <laughs> read of that. <laughs> Very good. Oh, sinking my teeth into that. I love it. Well, what's, what's next for you, Samantha? Continuing um, research. So I'm writing a book about, uh, it's called Terrorist Informers. It's about the use of informers within terrorist organisations in Northern Ireland during the Troubles, um, specifically the legal, the massive legal and ethical issues um, that were raised um, by that. Because if, you, if you've got an informer who you know is involved with terrorism, if you charge them with an offence, uh, if they go to prison, they no longer can provide you with that potentially life-saving uh, intelligence. So there's, there are some considerable practical difficulties uh, for policymakers and handlers uh, of informers, and they're very difficult to resolve. So that's something that I'm, I'm very much in the midst of at the moment. Fantastic. Well, it sounds it sounds thrilling and uh, and, and and actually rather rather edgy, but um, a bit dangerous even. I don't know. I think I think we're definitely going to have to read that when it comes out. Um, but uh, fantastic. Well, Dr. Samantha Newbury, thank you for joining us uh, from Sean and myself. It's been a pleasure to have you. Thank you both very much. Thank you. Thank you very much, Dr. Samantha Newbury. Uh, intelligence in academia, ethics, and you know what? contextualizing what you do, the bigger picture. I love that as a sentiment. What have you taken from it today, Sean? Well, I do have a passion for open source intelligence training, and it's great to see that there is an academic side um, where I can look to further my studies. Will I go on to do that? I don't know yet. Maybe I'm not there yet. Um, certainly something I'd like to consider down the line. Um, so it was great to hear from us for sure. Absolutely. And, you know, for, for everyone out there, of course, it doesn't have to be intelligence studies. Um, Samantha probably love it to be, but, but they, you know, you war studies, defense studies, security studies. Um, but, but what I like about intelligence studies is it is an academic inquiry into something skills-based. That's that. I mean, I'm not saying the others are not necessarily, but I, but I like that. Um, and of course, with the Sega magazine, we're bringing the pages of the magazine to life. We do these interviews. It's not so much a uh, Michael Aspel, this is your life. Um, it's, it's much more contextual, isn't it? It's much more thematic. Yeah, for sure. We've got issue 59, which will be coming out this week. Uh, lots of good articles in there on manners and etiquette, how-tos of high-risk meetings, conflict de-escalation, and international protection for protecting VIPs overseas. Lots of Great articles from some fantastic providers. So please sign up to that and let us know what you think. That would be great. Yeah, please, please subscribe to the magazine so you don't miss an episode of the magazine. You know, it's uh, episode 59. Uh, what, what a glut of uh, back catalogs we've had. Um, 
In in the news, uh, I want to say uh, Craig McKim, uh, who of course we've had on a previous uh, podcast, Craig McKim uh, put on a fantastic uh, All Protectors networking event in Columbus, Ohio, this past weekend. Uh, you know, it's 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 really nice, uh, especially for the people in that uh, region to to get together. Uh, so 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 if you were there, well done, uh, nice, and also thanks uh, to Craig for bringing the community together. Please keep. Your comments coming on the Protector app. So many things going on. In fact, this week, I can't even do a roll call of the best posts because there's been so many. Um, uh, the, the the BBA Connect app, thank you. Please keep the comments uh, coming. Lots of thoughts to our uh, veteran uh, family because, of course, uh, they will be very uh, thoughtful about what's going on uh, in Afghanistan at the moment. And also, a special mention, and uh, we want you to know that we're with you, to our actual members who are actually in Afghanistan right now. Yeah, we wish you a safe return. Absolutely. So, from Sean and myself, uh, it's been a pleasure talking to Dr. Samantha Newbury uh, of Salford University today. Uh, please do check out her profile and her next book. And we look forward to welcoming you to another thematic uh, version uh, of the Circuit Magazine podcast. You have been listening to the Circuit Magazine podcast. Be sure to subscribe and be sure to not miss an episode.